You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, we finish a series this morning called Baggage, uh, Living Free and Travelling Light. I don't know about you, but I've loved this series from Graham. I think just some of the feedback around the place has been that it's been a series that's really impacted a lot of us, and in a way that he just brings so well with his wealth of experience, just expounding the sorts of baggage that we carry in our life. And so it's a great privilege to dovetail into the back end of that this morning and really to ask the question, what does it mean to be truly free? I sort of got asked that question when I was a three-year-old, four-year-old, young toddler, whatever it might be, from my dad. My dad said in a roundabout way, he said, Sam, what is heaven like? And I thought about it and I said, um, heaven, heaven is being able to go to the fridge and to pour your own juice. Heaven is freedom. Heaven is freedom. That's what I was saying as a toddler. And isn't it funny? Like, why? What is it that instinctively, as human beings, we get that? That we get that craving for freedom? I mean, every great moment in history is characterized by moments of freedom. You know, uh, William Wallace, for example, the Scottish leader, uh, you would have known him as Mel Gibson or Braveheart, (laughs) if you're not that up on your history. Uh, freedom. He says, you can take away our homes, but you can't take our freedom. Thank you. I've been mean, a few, few ladies with Scottish heritage up the back there. I really had to practice this morning. Um, uh, post-war, right? Post-war. 50s, 60s, particularly the 70s. Many of you here this morning would have grown up through that emergence of freedom movements, the civil rights movement, the free love movement of the 70s, uh, this craving for freedom. And the Bible's answer to it all is the reason you crave it is because you were built for it. In fact, the, the Bible is dripping with freedom language. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, it says, right? there. It's just dripping with that language. And so the Bible and, and the world, whether you're a believer or non-believer this morning, uh, both are wholeheartedly in agreement in terms of what freedom is. Let me front load what freedom is here. I believe freedom to be... That feeling of fulfillment when you are able to do what you most deeply desire. The feeling of fulfillment when you're able to do what you most deeply desire. That's what going to the fridge is about, right? Now, paradoxically, the upside down nature of it is that that this uh, unrelenting quest for doing what we desire has not actually led necessarily to broad freedoms. How many times have we seen humanity pursue freedom and it's led to wars and it's led to conflicts and it's led to oppression? And so the question is, from the biblical standpoint this morning, not what is freedom necessarily? The deeper question is, why do we crave it so much and yet never fully seem to grasp it? That's why I'm going to go to the master teacher this morning, Jesus Christ, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 31 to 36. It says here, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, 
We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I guess there are lots of ways we can think about freedom, freedom of speech, political freedom, freedom of the individual's rights. Uh, But I think the best way to sum up what we'd call the world's perspective, a non-believer's perspective of freedom is the way that the Rolling Stones defined it, right? That I'm free (laughs) to do what I want any old time. Or if, if, if you're not from that era, maybe you're more like me in the 90s. George Michael defined it even better, didn't he? All we've got to do is is get around these lies and all we need to see is that I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me. Freedom, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You see, the world's definitions of freedom is I'm I'm only free if I can do whatever I want to do. I'm only free with the fewer restrictions I have, the fewer restraints I have, the freer I am. That's how the world defines it. But freedom's more complicated than that. It's like this little boy, he, he wanted a pet dog. I can't stand dogs. I'm not a dog person. I'm sorry. And that's why this mother of this little boy didn't want to get him a dog either because she didn't want the hair, didn't want the smell, didn't want the poop on the carpet. So she bought him a goldfish. And she, he took it home, went up to his bedroom, and he was up there for a couple of hours. She walks up to the bedroom, opens the door, and he's there really sad. She says, what's, what's up, Bobby? Bobby? Why are you so sad? And he says, well, look, I took the goldfish and I pulled it out of the tank and put it on the rug, and it flapped around for a while, and it was really fun, and now it's just boring. See, freedom's not the absence of restrictions. John Stott says that, that freedom is not the absence of restrictions. It's more complicated than the world's perspective on it. And when Jesus says to people here in John's gospel that the son has set you free, he's actually hinting in at at this complexity. He's, He's hinting in that there is a deeper place that there is something different from the world's perspectives. And unless you are moving into that place, uh, unless you are moving in there, you have a false freedom, you have a pseudo freedom. Unless you're moving in there, you're just flapping around on the rug. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. And so what is it then? What is it from the Christian perspective? Real simple this morning, from a Christian perspective, freedom is a freedom from and a freedom for. A freedom from and a freedom for. Four, uh, first of all, it's a freedom from the penalties of your excess baggage. That's what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks from Graham. Freedom from your excess baggage. Now, Jesus describes this in a really uh, different sort of way. He says it's a freedom from slavery. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, there's a myth that goes around in the world that says the, tr- the true freedom is to have no master but yourself. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. And, and, yet, and yet Jesus is saying here subtly, and this is what we'll get to, Jesus is saying that even in the absence of external restrictions around you, you're actually really not free. 
You're still a slave to someone or something. Didn't Bob Dylan say that in his song? You've got to serve somebody. You might like to sing. You might like to dance. You might be a king or the ambassador to France, but you're going to serve somebody. Bob Dylan, he's up there with Jesus, right? You see, he got this notion and... Uh, C.S. Lewis, who I, I hear it's the 50th anniversary of his death. He died an hour b- before JFK and thought that no one would ever read his books when he died. And yet, how wrong was he? All these future, future, uh, feature films later. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, The Abolition of Man, goes through and he, he, he has a whole list of all of the various behaviours that religions from around the world uh, say that you should subscribe to, that you should love one another, that you should care for one another, that you should uh, put your self-interest last and look out for other people, that you should care for the poor and care for the sick and all these wonderful behaviours that you should do. You shouldn't lie. You should, you should be honest and righteous. And he did it to show that there was almost universal consensus about what those behaviours were. Now, here's the irony, is that we know that the world is actually, A, not like that. And it's actually a worse place because people don't live like that. I mean, what is it about the condition of the human heart that we know exactly what we should be doing and we can even know the consequences if we don't do it And yet we keep doing the opposite over and over and over and over again. What is it with us? Why is it like that? The Bible speaks into that profoundly. There's there's a really interesting story back in Numbers. Numbers is one of the real old books of the Old Testament, one of those obscure ones you only ever have to read in Bible college. And I'm glad I did because there's there's a a fascinating passage. In fact, it's, it's probably a sad passage. It's a very dark passage in Numbers chapter 11. Because it tells the story of the way that the Israelites have been wandering around in the desert once they've been freed from slavery in Egypt. And so God, through Moses, leads them out through, you know, Prince of Egypt on the Disney Channel, out through the animated water into the promised land. And they've been wandering, wandering, around, uh, wandering around into the wilderness, sorry, before they get to the promised land, and they start to get a little bit restless. And there's this amazing passage in there where they start to get a little bit restless Their minds start to wander and they say in Numbers 11 verse 4, if only we had meat to eat because God had been providing for all their needs with this funny stuff called manna that was falling from the sky. So they're alive. Uh, It it, it was no sirloin steak down at Kingsley's Steakhouse, but they were alive. And so they're saying we had, if only we had meat to eat. And here's the cracker in verse 5. You've got to go look this story up when you get home. He says, or they say, sorry, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. And so they're wandering around in the, in the wilderness. And let, let's get this, that they're politically free now. They've been fl- freed from slavery. And they start wandering and they start talking amongst each other and go, oh, yeah, but remember the free fish back in Egypt? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's the, the craziness about it. Because anyone that's reading this goes, you idiots. How in the world can you start reminiscing about free fish? Yeah, it was free. You were slaves. They were slaughtering your children. They were oppressing you. They were whipping your backs. They were working you day and night until you were falling to the ground. Of course the fish was free. (laughs) Why were they like that? They were slaves. They were still slaves. They, They weren't physical 
political slaves. They were spiritual slaves. They were inner slaves. And that is that even in the absence of their external restrictions, the slavery they once knew, they were still slaves. They wanted to go back. (laughs) Oh, we think, oh, silly Israelites. (laughs) But... I, I, I would never go back to a state of unhealthiness in my life that I've been freed from, right? I'd never go back to Egypt. Come on. Paul, Paul, Paul himself, you know, he was the most spiritual dude in the New Testament, apart from Jesus. And I remember Paul himself, the great of the faith, said, oh, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I am doing, I don't want to do. There's a slavery amongst one of the greats of the Bible. What is that? What is this, what is this excess baggage that I'm talking about? It's, it's sin. Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, you've got to, before you run off and think about what, uh, what's he saying, sin? Sin's not good deeds or bad deeds. Sin is not an action. Rather, sin is a power. Sin is a power within us that leads to certain types of actions. And, and, and so... This is how I describe it. It's it's not just a power. It's a radioactive power. Uh, It's the the gospel according to Marie Curie. You know who she was, you scientists among you? Marie Curie, she discovered what? She discovered radium. Thank you, David. Gold star. That goes in my... I've got a little bit of cardboard, by the way, for you 1045ers in my office. If you answer questions like that, you get a gold star. And I let Jesus know at the end of the service. So, (laughs) Randy, was. That's right, she, she, she discovered uh, radioactivity. Do you know how she died? From radio, radioactivity. <laughs> she went playing around with this stuff and it was doing all sorts of cool things and it was blowing her mind, man. <laughs> it was cool, but, but before she knew of the safety mechanisms that needed to be in place with this stuff, she played around with it and it ate her up invisibly from the inside out. She died of bone marrow disease. This is what I'm saying, guys. Sin is a radioactive power that eats you alive from the inside. And my question for you this morning is that, that, that how can you be sure that the things that you are playing with, that the desires and the cravings are not slowly and secretly radiating and killing you from the inside every time you lie? It doesn't. It, it, it slowly radiates a bit more of you. Every time you put your self-interest ahead of someone else, it slowly radiates you. Every time you hunger for the things of this world above and beyond our wonderful and our majestic God, you radiate yourself from the inside. Are you with me? Oh, I, feel, I feel it. I, I feel it. I know how this power works. And you radiate yourself from the inside. When you do that, you know what? You begin to kill off the very functions that could lead you to the freedom that Jesus promises you this morning. As you continue to sin in your thought life, you constrict and kill off the very thoughts that could dwell upon the wonder and the glory of God. As as you sin with your emotions, your whole headspace and everything about you is crumpled down into a, a shriveling nature. That, that, that stops you from experiencing the wonder and, and the goosebumpiness of, of our glorious God. When you sin with your body, you go against the very laws that this wonderful God has des- designed you for. You kill yourself from the inside. 
You're enslaved, says Jesus. That's the problem. Even in the absence of restrictions, you feel free, but you ain't, he says. Ah, the master teacher. Where do we go from there? How, how do we come out from that? He's saying, I've set you free from a hidden slavery. How, Jesus? How do you set us free from that? It's because Christian freedom is not just a freedom from, but it's a freedom for. It's, it's, a, it's a freedom for how you are meant to travel in life, to use the analogy of this baggage series. He says here, verse 36. He says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. But he goes deeper than that. Verse 31, we skipped over it, but he says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hear that? Know the truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. He says, know the truth. You see, there's the other myth that goes round is that freedom is doing whatever you want to do. And Jesus says, nah, freedom's not doing whatever you want to do. Freedom is holding to the truth. And we live in a society that is, it's so relativistic. You, you, you might be hearing this this morning saying, ah, oh, that's your truth, Jesus. <laughs> but there's lots of different truths. Uh, nah, says Jesus. He talks about a different freedom. The freedom according to Ben Lexon. He's a mysterious guy. Some of you may know who he is, particularly if you like the water. Anyone else want a gold star? Who's Ben Lexon? He, he designed what? David, you get like four gold stars this morning. <laughs> he designed the wing keel, the winged keel in 1983, which eventually got attached onto this boat called the Australia 2, which was financed by a guy called Alan Bond. And they won this historic race called the America's Cup. And we celebrated in style here in Australia. And here's what the winged keel is. It says... Each, each wing acts as a winglet, effectively doubling the keel aspect ratio and reducing the lift-induced drag. Because the yacht is heeled over when sailing upwind, the leeward foil is closer to the vertical and provides additional side force, of course. <laughs> Reducing the leeway angle, hence making the boat sail upwind more efficiently. Amen? <laughs> yeah. You know what that is? That's a truth. That's a truth. That is a system of truth. That is a design. That is a reality. That is a structure that has been researched and thought about and designed specifically to give them absolute maximum output. That's a truth. Try going up to Ben Lexon and saying, oh, your truth's relative. You've got your kill. I've got my kill. <laughs> Who's going to win the America's Cup? Come on, the, the, the wind, the water, everything that he thinks about. Nature works that way. That's not only that, you know, if, if Alan Bond and his crew had of on that day, I guess, wanted to be totally free and sail the Australia 2 up George Street, for example, uh, what do you think would happen? <laughs> um, Ta-ta to that million-dollar winged keel, for sure. That's, it'd get left behind at the edge of Circular Quay into the sandstone, that's for sure. And the boat wouldn't make it that far because here's the thing. Freedom for a yacht was not sailing wherever it wants to sail. Freedom for a yacht is sailing in the context and the conditions for which it was meant to travel, right? The wind, the water. And so, therefore, freedom is not an absence of restrictions,
And Jesus says to you that you can have a choice this morning. You can see yourself as a sailboat and you do have all the freedom in the world and you can see a nice blue horizon (laughs) and you can sail wherever you want to go. Just make sure that you're in the water. Know my truth. Don't go sailing up George Street. (laughs) There, There are contexts for which you are built. And he says, friends, you must recognize that you are designed for a purpose. You are designed for a context in which you operate as a human being in the same way that a sailboat operates the best way. Human beings operate the best way in the harbour that is the wonderful and the beautiful love of God. You you are designed for something. Know the truth, he says. Know your design. Know the context for which you were built. And like a sailboat under wind and water, he says, the system of my reality will set you free. That's what the world doesn't get. (laughs) The systems of my reality and and design. And so therefore, true freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. It's doing what you are meant to do. But there's one more thing quickly before we finish off. He says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, it's the Greek word there is meno or meno. It means to sit, it means to stay put, it means to dwell. You would mean if you bought a house, if you settled down. What he's saying is it's one thing to know my system of reality, but you need to settle down into it. In simple words, it means just to obey him, to obey my teaching, to be disciplined in my teaching. Obedience means, in other words, to allow Jesus to cut across your will. It's like in the mornings... uh, The alarm goes off, beeps at you, and within you rises all of these physical emotions and everything within you, the rain outside and the warmth of your big fluffy doona, everything within you right, just wants to pull it even further up to your chin with every beep of the alarm clock. Has anyone ever felt like that? Anyone anyone felt like that getting to a 10.45am service, right? But then you say to yourself, no, I must rise. I will go to church. There are things that I know that are going to be more greater and wonderful than staying here in bed. Yes, I know that's a bit of a conflict. (laughs) But no, I I, I will go. I I will allow the greater thing of church to cut across my will. (laughs) Can you see what you're doing? You're allowing something greater beyond how you feel to cut across your will. What are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you get up? So you see, look, as much as it feels right and you want to just stay there in the covers, there are things that you know that are just not good for you. (laughs) But you allow these greater things beyond those feelings to cross your will and you come to realise that it's just a principle of life. We we believe in this principle of life of, of someone or something cutting across our will so much we even pay people to do it. They're called personal trainers. Right, there is there is a multi million dollar industry out there called personal trainers, and what do personal trainers do? Whenever it feels like you've just want to give up, or you don't want to run around the block, or those weights are too heavy, someone jumps into your face and says, "One more rep, you can do this." We understand the principles. The principles of God's structured reality, that if you apply an obedience and come under a system of reality in physical life, it brings you a deeper freedom. Whenever I submit myself to weights, then I can be stronger and run faster. When I run around the block, I can breathe easier, right? I I submit myself for the moment in order to have a deeper freedom. (laughs) 
in order to be shaped into what God has designed me to do, his system of reality. Here's a question. Will you give Jesus Christ the same level of power this morning that you would give your personal trainer if you had one? Or your lawyer or your accountant? Are you willing to hold onto his truth? Because here's the irony. In prepping for this message, I woke up this morning and I opened up the fridge and there was two and a half litres of apple and pear juice. And I thought, am I in heaven? <laughs> you see, I, 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 was, I was free to scull all two and a half litres of that juice in one hit. <laughs> but did I? No, come on, we know. Have you seen the calorific count of juice? It's disgusting. I, I, I know that if I sculled that, then the hips would get a little wider and the waistline a little... Uh, in, in other words, I, to, to do that, I, I, I knew that that wouldn't be the best for who God has created me to be. And so therefore, true freedom is not the absence of restrictions, but finding the restrictions you were built for and holding on to them. And so to live freely, to be truly free this morning, folks, yes, it takes courage, it takes faith, but it also takes discipline. And some of you this morning, I believe, if you're anything like me, you, you need some freedom from this morning. That there would be some of us in this auditorium who have got these desires and cravings to go back to your Egypts to go back to unhealthy relationships, to go back to unhealthy patterns of thought, to go back to unhealthy interactions with other people. We always want to go back to Egypt. And Jesus comes into your life this morning. He says, no, I've come to bring you out from that. I've come to free you from your hidden slavery. And here's the thing. He says, I'm not just going to do it through my teaching. I will do it by you becoming a slave to me. And here's the point. Dylan was right. You're going to serve somebody. You might like to sing. You might like to dance. You might be a king or the ambassador of France, but you're going to serve somebody. Your choice is to either serve the many kings of your life, your career, to serve money, to serve security, to serve love, or you can make yourself a slave to the only master that when you become his slave, he grabs your hand and makes you a son who brings you into the house and says, come live with me. Others this morning, I think if, if it's not just your freedom from maybe Christians, we need to spend some more time focusing on our freedom for. May we not be so naive to dismiss in our everyday lives what it is that God has built us for and purposed us for. True freedom's nuanced and it's more complex than the world dare Admit, but if you hold to it and come under the ultimate personal trainer, you will find a freedom that is inexplicable to most. How? I'll leave you with this. I want you to imagine that you're at a doctor's surgery. You walk in. You say, Doc, I don't feel too good. And she prescribes to you. She says, look, take my prescription. Here it is. Two pills every day. No lollies three vegetables, and I want you to walk a kilometre every day. And you walk out with the prescription in your hand and, and you say to the receptionist, that, that doc, she is just amazing. I mean, she makes me feel so good and I haven't even taken the stuff yet. She's, oh, I just think she's fantastic. Next day you go home, you take one pill instead of two. Uh, you sneak a lolly in. 
you walk only half a kilometre. This will do, you say. Besides, I, I know just as well as the doctor. A week later, you, you go back. You say, Doc, I'm still not feeling better. I'm feeling really dodgy. I'm not so good. And she says, oh, dear, because that's interesting because what I prescribe normally really helps. I've been doing this for years. I can't understand it. Did you do what I prescribed? Uh, sort of, you say. I took one pill and I snuck a lolly and I only ate one vegetable instead of three and I only, only ran half a kilometre, but that's good enough, right? Well, tell me, she says, do you, do you want to get well? Of course, you say, of course I want to get well. You're an amazing doctor. I love you. Well, did you walk one mile, uh, uh, one kilometre? No, I only walked half a kilometre. <laughs> the doc says, don't you trust me? Don't you have faith in me? Of course, you're the greatest doctor I know. You're incredible. I tell all my friends about you. I know. I heard you tell my receptionist last week. If I'm the greatest, then she says, then why don't you trust me? I do trust you, you say. No, you don't. (laughs) Oh, how can you say that, doc? Because you did not do what I told you to do. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let's pray.